You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody, and thank you very much, Mike Ross, for that fine intro. It never changes. It's always perfect. Welcome to Episode 28 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you for the next 40 minutes or so. Our guest today will be Dave McCarthy, Sirius XM NHL Radio Network and NHL.com. And Gus Katsaros is back. He is a hockey analyst for McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. Before we get going, basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all the action now at DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. So claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using the code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stand or the salary cap, see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, assist means so much more with a DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. Baseball fans, you may have missed out on the season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get in on all the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. The code is THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. So what the heck do we have here with the Leafs? I mean, you go 9 one you're going to have some trouble, right? So after 9-0-1, lost to Montreal, overtime loss to Calgary, and stinkeroo loss to the Winnipeg Jets. This game Thursday night was so similar to the one March 13th at Scotiabank Arena. It, it was like watching the tape. And and how do I mean that? Well, the Leafs started out okay and then just gave opportunities to the Jets that they went, thank you very much, in the net. There's a couple of key points here. Power play. Oh, my goodness. This thing is it's stuck. It's in quicksand. It goes nowhere. It's a rally killer. It takes the zap out of the Leafs lineup. They had a one nothing lead, and we're on a 5-on-3 and couldn't do anything about it. And before they blinked, it was 3-1 for the Winnipeg Jets. And before they blinked, Jack Campbell went from unbeatable to, well, he couldn't stop anything and got yanked from the game. I mean, that's a, that's a big load that that power play is causing the Leafs, a big load of trouble. I mean, they just can't get out of it. And that's your hockey game. And, you know, let me get my summary here. And I could tell you that that happens all uh, by 13.54 of the first period. That's a lot of stuff going on. you got a, a goal by Galchenyuk that nobody saw they had to review. You've got a power play that turns into a five-on-three where absolutely nothing happens. And then you've got a power play goal that happens for Winnipeg eight seconds into the power play. And then you've got a pinch goal, another pinch goal, and your starting goaltender is out. And for all intents and purposes, the game is over. That's a lot of stuff that happens in 14 minutes of hockey, and they couldn't try as they did. They could not claw their way back into this game. They got it close, 3-2, and then another gaffe in the third, which is just a a weird Bermuda triangle play. Ehlers scores, 4-2, empty net goal. There's your game. 
and you're left wondering, you know, what has happened to the Leafs? Why have they reversed the equation? When they were going 9-0-1, they were doing everything right, and the goals were following. Now they're doing everything wrong, and the goals aren't following, and they're chasing the goals. The stretch pass is back, and, well, it doesn't look very good, does it? Well, that's, that's where we are now. Should it improve? I hope so. They've got three games with Winnipeg next week in Winnipeg. That might be a turning point, and they have four more games against Montreal. So somewhere in those seven games, they're going to have to figure it out. Of course, they're going to get healthy, and they're going to get their acquired players in the lineup, and so that's that's a big adjustment. But right now, it does not look good. First bit of analysis, here is Dave McCarthy, Sirius XM, NHL Radio Network, and NHL.com. Okay, let's welcome in Dave McCarthy. We're going to start this a little differently. We're going to start with a yes guy, no guy. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, those listening on wired or wireless earbuds, time now for the Leafs guy edition of yes guy, no guy. Dave, yes guy, no guy number one. The Leafs power play is fixable. Well, yes, guy, because there is so much talent. I mean, <laughs> when you're able to send Marner and Matthews and Nylander and Tavares and Riley and Spezza, you know, over the board time, and like there's a, a vast array of different options. Um, ultimately, it's fixable. But what I think they need to do is just simplify. And the, the, the power play goal that they scored, the lone one that they scored during this miserable stretch that they're in the midst of, uh, was a simple goal. It was a shot from the point, get the puck on net, and then bang away at the rebound. And when you're not going well, that's what you have to resort to. Not over-fancying the play, not cross-ice passes and and all of that. It's just simplify. And I I haven't seen a commitment to doing that lately. And as a result, I think it's more between the ears than anything else. But with this amount of talent, um, I'm, I'm certainly confident that eventually... Uh, they're going to start to get back to the, the level of proficiency that they were at earlier in the year. Okay, yes guy, no guy number two. The Leafs have to be totally healthy to have a legitimate Stanley Cup shot. Uh, I would say maybe, guy, because it depends who is and who is not healthy. Um, the the way I would specify that is to say that their core guys need to be healthy. Like, you can you can obviously afford if... Uh, if, if Ilya Mikheyev is not healthy or if, um, you know, Travis Dermott goes down because they've got some level of depth there. But, man, you look at this team when they don't have Austin Matthews in the lineup, uh, suddenly the lineup doesn't look nearly as vaunted as it is when he is in the lineup. And not only being vaunted, they have a harder time scoring. It's just as simple as that. Um, to lose a guy like Morgan Riley would, would not be ideal. Uh, to lose a guy like John Tavares would not be ideal because, you know, depth at center, uh, say what you will, obviously Matthews and Tavares is a good look, but after that, I mean, who's your third-line center? Lately, it's been Pierre Engvall. Do you want him playing even higher in the lineup? Do you want Alex Kerbwood playing higher in the lineup? The answer to that is probably not, and if, if that is the case, I think they're going to have a hard time down the, uh, down the stretch in the playoffs if they get to the second or third or fourth round. So... Yes, guy, their their core needs to remain healthy if they have a chance. Okay, yes, guy, no guy, number three. The recent play has actually just been a market correction. Uh, recent play by the 0-2-1 stretch, you mean, after winning yeah. six in a row? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that because, you know, before the, the six in a row and they had an, uh, a 9-0-1 streak going to, to even broaden that, before that... I think they were 0-6-1, so they've been kind of up and down of late, uh, but what we've seen is their highs and their lows. Now it's time to just sort of 
I think, find a way to to shorten the wavelength, if you will, and get some consistency into their play. Clearly, the capability is there uh, if they can ever get the power play figured out, because even even in the midst of their poor stretch on the power play, they still went 9-0-1, so they can clearly win without it. But if they can get their power play back into their game a little bit, uh, that'll help. It should bring them back a bit. Uh, but yeah, this is a market correction. I don't think it's cause for a huge concern. Jack Campbell has obviously come back to life a little bit. He wasn't going to win every game that he was going to play the rest of his career after going 11-0 to start the year. Uh, so definitely a little bit of a market correction. Yes, guy. Uh, but cause for concern? Maybe I'm adding a question there. To me, no guy. Okay, let's uh, let's finish it off this way. Uh, yes, guy, no guy number four. The new players, Felino, Hutton, and Riddick specifically will push the Leafs over the edge? Um, well, I would say certainly Foligno will. Uh, he, he will be the, the key in all of this uh, because I think he'll, he'll lengthen the lineup a little bit. He'll be a fit. Um, I think they're going to try him on one of the top two lines initially to see what they have and see if, if there is a fit there. Um, and if so, great. If not, uh, then you can put him on a third line and it gives you a real solid line that you can lean on. Sheldon Keefe has been trying to develop a third line for quite some time, really since the beginning of the year, uh, that he can lean on to take on some heavier minutes to free up uh, one of the top two lines for more favorable matchups. And because of a variety of circumstances, um, including injuries, they haven't really been able to, to arrive at one consistently this year. Uh, but, but if so, maybe Nick Foligno could be that guy. Um, so I think he'll be the key in this. Uh, David Riddick, if they have to turn to him, uh, that'll be better than if they have to turn to Michael Hutchinson. And same thing with Ben Hutton. Uh, if they have to turn to him, it'll be better than if they have to turn to, say, Marty Marincin or Timothy Lilligren. Uh, but you hope they don't have to. I think Nick Foligno is, is the key uh, to, to all of this for the Maple Leafs. So for, for his standpoint... I'll say yes, guy. He's the key to push this team over the edge. Okay, let's go to your third line comment. I really, I really buy into what you're saying there. In fact, when you go back over the playoff losses to Boston recently, not last year, but the, the years before, it was the third line that was the flex point. The top two lines canceled out, uh, yep. and really, the Felino addition means that you could keep Hyman if need be on the third line, and I think that's vital, don't you? Well, that's, that's the idea. Remember, uh, at the beginning of the year, Sheldon Keefe kind of shocked everybody uh, by having Hyman on that third line. I believe it was with Mikheyev and Kerfoot at the time. Um, and, and suddenly, it's amazing how people's sentiment changes because three or four years ago, man, the, 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 the concept of Hyman playing with Matthews was sending people looking for ledges. And, and I, at the time, said, well, no, he's, he's actually performing a pretty good role on that line. Now everybody wants to keep him on that line. And when he was taken <laughs> off, put on the third line, people said, well, what is Sheldon Keefe doing? It's a demotion for, for, for Zach Hyman. Well, no, it's not. Um, what he was trying to do was to develop a third line that he could lean on, uh, that could score a little bit, and that could take on some heavier minutes. And you're totally right. Uh, against those losses, against Boston in those losses, um, what happened was uh, Nassim Kadri had a really bad habit of getting himself suspended early in the series. And when that happened, uh, the third line went to heck in a handbasket. Um, and it, it really was the difference in the series because after both of those, those matchups, we spent a lot of time talking about, man, if Kadri still had been available, uh, what difference would he have made? And I, I think the answer would have been, you know, 
quite a significant one. So, so that's, that's really where Nick Foligno comes into play. If, if, if Alex Galchenyuk can, uh, can take on one of those roles on the left with one of the top two lines, he's been playing pretty good. Like I thought he played uh, pretty good on, uh, what are we, uh, Thursday against, um, against Winnipeg. He had the goal. Uh, he, he's forechecked well. He seems to have um, adapted his style of play to be more willing to take on that, that grunt work on that line. Um, and he's excelling because of it. So if he can take on one of those roles and Felino can take on the other, well, then now you've got an ability to put Mikheyev and Hyman, and we'll see what type of a centerman they decide to put. I mean, maybe it's Engvall, maybe it's Kerfoot, uh, maybe it's Riley Nash, who is a really proficient defensive center. He doesn't score an awful lot, but he's a really proficient defensive center. Um, and it depends the type of usage that, that Keefe wants to uh, turn to with that line. If you, can, if you can put together a line like that, well, then I think you got a line that, that can take on heavier minutes and really fit into the plan that, that Sheldon Keefe has, has come up with, I think, from the beginning of the year, and like we talked about, has been searching for the ideal combo um, ever since. Um, I talked about an equation before you came on, and the equation for Leaf success used to be uh, if you play with that defensive system and do everything properly, the goals show up because you're not giving anything to the opposition. They were very generous Thursday night against Winnipeg. So what I've found lately is now they've reverted back to the stretch pass to search for the goal, mm -hmm. and you wouldn't have to search for the goal if you played sound defensively. So they, they kind of mixed that one up. Would you agree? I, I do. I do. Like we've seen the high point of of how they play when they're playing their best those those games against Edmonton there um, earlier on in the season and even during the earlier part of that 9-0-1 stretch just recently uh, I thought they were they were much more proficient in how they managed the game um, but there's still times where they're gambling uh, and that seems to have seeped back into their play like even uh, even last night uh, Justin Hall found himself uh, deep in, uh, in, in the offensive zone, and that allowed, I believe it was Shifley, to get that breakaway there as, as there was no support on that side of the ice. Like That's one of the areas that Justin Hall, to me, seems to struggle in. Um, when he knows his lane and he's playing within his, uh, his limitations um, and he's not getting too deep in the zone, like he really doesn't go in you know, much past the offensive blue line, he's really effective. But when he starts to freewheel and get down below the goal line and start pinching, uh, that's when he runs into to trouble. That concerns me. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but that's one of the reasons why he had a hard time getting in the lineup um, under the previous head coach is because, look, he, he's shown that he can play effectively, but there's also a consistency issue there where uh, he doesn't stick to what uh, makes him effective all of the time. And as a coach... When you're looking to put a guy on the ice for 20 minutes, um, I can't put you on the ice for 20 minutes when I'm worried about what type of guy I'm going to get on a particular night. And, and last night he made a mistake that was, that was critical in the game. And, and you can really factor that throughout, uh, throughout the team um, of late. So uh, it's still a building process for this team where they, they have yet to fully commit to um, the way they need to play in order to have success. They've been better this year, 
but there's still those times where it's like, oh, geez, maybe we can just wheel around the ice and, and win this one tonight by scoring six. Maybe that'll be a bit easier and maybe it'd be a bit more fun. Um, yeah, there, there's still that, that, that mindset in their game that, that needs to come out, in, in my mind at least. Okay, let's do a specific audit on the first period last night. So I think it's it's common, and I've said it, and a lot of people have, that the, the power play that went from 5-on-4 five to 5-on-3 five was a definite turning point. You could see the residual effect it had on the team, it, and, and that is really added to by the Ehlers goal, so, what, eight or nine seconds into a power play. So so you've got that, that opening goal, then you've got this void where, where the opportunity is there in a 5-on-4 that becomes a 5-on-3. You get nothing. You, you don't look like you're doing anything, and the Jets come back with a quick power play goal. Now, my problem after that is I, I like to separate things. That should be a standalone right there. The problem is the next two goals are pinches, and you've just yep. talked about them. So so here's my here's – my, this is like bad game management for me. I look at this and go, look, it's 1-1. You just had a bad period, uh, bad period of time with the 5-on-3 that didn't work. They just scored, so why the heck are you pinching? The score is tied at 1. Like this is this is where I lose it. Like know the scoreboard, know the game time. This is not the time to pinch. No, you're absolutely right. You don't need to pinch there. If there's not a sure play, don't take a risk when it's one one early in the game. Live to fight another day. And that's what you hear um guys who have played in the National Hockey League uh, far many more games than you and I have combined. Um say <laughs> <laughs> say <laughs> say all the time, right? Um, that's what championships teams do. And that's what the Leafs have done well um, when they've been at their best. There have been a lot of shifts where, okay, nothing happens that shift. And that's fine. And then you just come back over the boards and you give it another crack. And you know what? Maybe nothing will happen that shift either. But you wait till your opportunity presents itself where you don't need to take an adverse risk where eh, maybe it's a 30% chance it might pay off but maybe there's a 70% chance where you're not going to make the play um, and Mark Scheifele is going to get a breakaway and go back the other way when you're already kind of on that tight wire. Um, and if you give up another goal, well, then you're reeling. And that's what happened last night. That's what the Jets talked about to a man, Paul Maurice, uh, Mark Scheifele, Nick Ehlers after the game. They all said, look, that, that five on three, was a real catalyst for us in that game because we didn't get out to a good start. And that was the disappointing standpoint from the Leafs' um, uh, approach was that I thought their first uh, 10 minutes or so was really strong. Uh, the, yeah. game, the game on Tuesday, they were never really in that game. They started poorly. They were chasing the game. That was really disappointing to me. But those first 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, yeah, they look, they've really shown up tonight. They're in the game. They're ready to go. And then that five on three, the power play's been killing them. We know that. But that's okay, like you just talked about, Jim. Okay, that's a, that's a, a sedimentary point in time. Um, just leave it at that. Don't let that compound by making further poor decisions like they made on pinches to, to make it worse. Um, and the Jets said that was really the turning point in their game. That, that gave us the, uh, the energy, they said, and almost the, uh, the anger to, to drive us forward the rest of the game. Remember, they'd been on the road for the better part of 10 days. That was the final uh, game of a five-game road trip. And for Winnipeg, it's wild this year. None of their road games this year, zero, are within their time zone because of the way the schedule is, right? 
Yep. So when they're on the road, man, is it a grind for them? And and they said, look, we needed something to sort of kick us in the pants early in the game, and we got that five on three. And they were, then they said, well, okay, now we're ready to go. And they played like it the rest of the game. But the Leafs' poor game management after that five on three sapped them sapped their momentum, only made it worse. And you know, it was mistakes that they made themselves. They, it wasn't. Uh, where the Jets uh, really took it to them on those plays. It was poor decisions that cost them, and you need to get that out of your game. It's okay to play a shift where nothing happens and to do that time and time and time again until your opportunity presents itself. Well, I mean, really, when you go over it, it's a catastrophic series of events. Uh, you've got a 5-1-3 power play that, that noticeably, and I want to say noticeably, uh, affects the Leafs. I mean, you could see it on their faces. You could see it in their play. The Jets see that and jump on it. And so you've got, uh, got a five on three where you should have been up at least two nothing. All of a sudden, you're down three one. And all of a sudden, your unbeatable goaltender yeah. is out of the game. And I thought he started well, too. And then all of a sudden, they couldn't hit him. Yeah. And then, and then he's beating himself up, too, right? I mean, you, he, he, the thing about Jack is he's really hard on himself and he says he's not as hard on himself as he used to be in his career. Uh, but he still looks like, uh, he takes losses home and he takes poor play home with him. And that concerns me a little bit because he, he shouldn't, uh, he was outstanding. Um, obviously at the beginning of the year and, um, he gets pulled. Obviously anytime you're a goalie and you get pulled, that, that sticks in your, your head. That goes between the ears a little bit. You don't like it, especially when you're a guy that tends to be hard on themselves. Um, but the goals that he let in, he was left on his own because of poor decisions where he end up with, with breakaways. And sure, it'd be nice to see him stop one, but, you know, man, your team's got to take care of you once in a while the way he was taking care of them. That's what Sheldon Keefe said after the game. Um, so now he's, now he's gotten pulled. Now for the second game in a row, maybe third game in a row, because he wasn't all that good against Ottawa, uh, questions about how he's played are starting to seep into his own mind, and he's beating himself up in the press after the game. Like against Ottawa, it was I, I owe the boys a Red Lobster dinner. Um, you know, on, on Tuesday, it was, or I guess on Monday, it was um, uh, something along the lines of I, I, was, I was terrible, I was embarrassed on how I played. Um, and, and yesterday it was the same thing. I put the team in a really bad spot. I need to be better. Uh, there's no excuse for that. And that concerns me a little bit because I hope it's not going to develop into a crisis of confidence for Jack because you're going to need him, obviously. Um, but that's, that's part of the, the problem, right? You need to help your goalie out and not put him in tight spots. And the Leafs did that last night. So the first period, which started out really well, really turned into um, – to a concerning final 10 minutes for a variety of different factors. One, obviously, what was on the scoreboard. Uh, two, how they let the game get away from them by making bad decisions. And three, the residual effect uh, to your goaltender moving forward. It was not, uh, not an ideal uh, final 10 minutes of that first period. Well, we'll end on this. I don't know about you, but when Shifley crossed that blue line, I knew that goal was going in because I didn't see any kind of presence from Campbell. No, he, uh, I mean, it was really the movie made. It, it looked like the, uh, the type of move you make on your uh, goalie at the end of practice when you're just horsing around on shootouts and he's tired. He just goes one way and in. And, like there was no, there was no battle level to that, that, that save attempt. Um, that, and that's why I say I'm, I hope 
it's not developing into a crisis of confidence for him because he never looked on that play like he even thought he had a hope of making that stop. And that was a little bit concerning because at times when Campbell is at his best, there's a battle level in his game. Um, and uh, it looks like he believes he's going to make the save, even when it doesn't look like he's got a chance uh, to make it. So uh, it's a good thing they picked up David Reddick. I'm not saying Campbell's a lost cause by any stretch. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but they're going to need more than just Jack Campbell down the stretch here. It was good to see Freddie Anderson on the ice, and uh, we'll see how that uh, plays out over the final few weeks of the season. Remember, get Freddie back in the lineup. They'll have to do some cap gymnastics if it wants to be during the regular season. Um, if they have to wait till the playoffs, well, then you're turned into a guy that hasn't played in you know, the better part of two months. That in and of itself is a risk. So uh, David Riddick, I think, will come into uh, in the play here at some point. I guess that goes back to uh, an earlier yes guy. And like I said, it's a good thing that uh, they, picked up, uh, they picked up David Riddick. I thought Kyle Dubas's work, I'll just end on this comment, was fantastic at the deadline. He ticked every box he needed to tick. Dave, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. All right, down the hall we go. Our second guest is Gus Katseros, a hockey analyst from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. Okay, Gus. Well, the Winnipeg Jets might be kryptonite for the Leafs. I mean, I, I think we've already talked about on this podcast how Ottawa is and Montreal can be, but the Jets, uh, this 5-2 loss on Thursday night was eerily similar to 1-5-2 March 13th at Scotiabank Arena in that the Jets played really well, but the Leafs gave them everything, and they were there to pounce on it. I don't want to say opportunistic because I thought the Jets played a good game, but, boy, they didn't waste any time, and there was a mistake made. It was in the net. Yeah, and it, it wasn't like the Leafs weren't, uh, like, it, it seemed like it was Christmas. They were giving up pucks all over the place, um, bad positioning, bad coverage on certain events. You saw multiple uh, breakaways or, or um, uh, uh plays where you saw more Winnipeg Jets in the area where the puck is going, and you just can't allow a team that skilled um, like Winnipeg's forwards are uh, and give them the opportunity to kind of pounce on that kind of stuff. You just can't. At the same time, regardless of all the miniche and all the little details that, that kind of led to that, this is a bit of a problem. These are the type of teams like Winnipeg that the Leafs are going to face in the playoffs once they come out of the North Division under the assumption that they beat Winnipeg to get out of the North Division. So how are they going to kind of address these more difficult teams, the Bostons, the Tampa Bays, um, those teams that are going to give them so much more difficulty than anything that they face this season, regardless of 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 whether uh, they're capable of playing to that level or not. Now, having said all of that too, we also have to give the Leafs a little bit of leeway here. This isn't exactly the team that they potentially are going to be icing in the playoffs. Um, There's still a little bit of a learning curve, but it goes to show you, you miss two vital players out of your lineup and the team disintegrates into something completely different than what we've seen this entire season. Austin Matthews drives the offense. It's almost as if the Leafs are a competitive hockey team that requires Matthews to be at his best to be termed as a contender. Goaltending or not, defense or not, the talented players that they have up front, Mitch Marner can't carry a team on his own. It doesn't seem like it. John Tavares can't do it on his own. It doesn't seem like it. And if they can, it's in short spurts. So it's not enough of a sample size to say that this team without Matthews can compete for a Stanley Cup. That's a very important factor because if you if he does go down in, uh, to injury in the playoffs, is there anybody that can step up to that 
to become that type of a player. And I don't think that there is anybody on the Leafs roster that's able to do that. So their game is going to change a bit. Their focus will have to change a bit. And if they haven't really practiced stuff like this going into the playoffs, it's a bit of a, 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 a like a scratch on the back of my head where I'm thinking, you know, there, there's still issues that they need to address. And they have a quarter of a season left to address those. And those are the little things that I'm kind of looking forward to once they finally get a full roster together. Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, they remind me of a Detroit team that was really, really good uh, many years ago that, that if it was healthy, it would kill you. But if it wasn't healthy, uh, for whatever reason, the parts didn't didn't mesh together. And, and that would be my fear for the Leafs is that injuries would get in the way. That's why I applaud what they did at the deadline, because I, I think that's a nice a nice backfill. What I noticed was um, a. Uh, an erosion of their game. So the what the thing I used to how I used to describe the Leafs was this year they would do the little things that would create the goal. Uh, in years past, they were looking for the goal, and and so that creates the stretch pass and, and all that other stuff. And and my line on the post game last night was, uh, I I used to do highlights. So if it's a if it's a tic tac toe play, it still only runs 20 seconds. It runs 20 seconds whether it goes in off your rear end or if you make five nice passes. For the highlights, it doesn't matter. So so don't consider that when you're playing. But but I just think that you know they're looking for that stretch pass because they're looking for the home run and they've they've erased the equation that made them so good uh maybe two weeks ago. You know it's interesting that you mentioned that about the stretch pass. That seemed to be one of the things that kind of uh, blossomed during the Mike Bob, Bob, uh, Babcock era, at least for the first two seasons of the Babcock era. It was more of, okay, we're going to allow these guys to play a little bit more of a freewheeling style. Um, blowing the zone and looking for a stretch pass, that that kind of, like it's all part of modern hockey theory. Those are, those are vital strategies, and you can use them in situations. You probably don't want to overuse them, but you can use them from time to time. So what I think that the Leafs are trying to do right now is experiment a little bit and see just how far can they take different elements of the game that they haven't really used, um, and are they vital enough that they can incorporate them going into the final quarter of the season and into the, into the playoffs. Um, having said all that, too, the, the, the biggest thing that the Leafs are really doing better this season than they have, um, especially in the last season under Mike Babcock, um, was coming out as a unit um, they're they're more focused on uh, kind of to your point, trying to create a goal or a scoring situation rather than just looking for that long bomb or a long pass and just trying to hope for a goal. Um, there's a little bit more creativity, a little bit more structure and strategy um, in regards to how they generate their scoring chances. Again, it's very top heavy. So it's nice to see like the Leafs have adopted a, a, a mentality where even your fourth line should be as skilled as your first line. Obviously you can't have that, but you want skilled figures there so that you can move players up and down the lineup. So if William Nylander isn't able to play and they have to throw, for example, Jason Spezza into that, that spot, Spezza can play the type of game that they're expecting out of that line without missing a beat. So that's what I think Keith is also doing a lot with the, the, the personnel changes. They still don't have a fully healthy Mike Felino just yet. Um, or at least capable Nick. to play. Uh, Nick Felino, right, right, right. See, my age is kind of creeping in there. Mike is always Mike's in. pretty healthy, but he can't play. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting if they bring him back just for one jump. <laughs> I like so to see should, the helmet. They should isolate Nick Felino's goals and then just have Mike Felino do the jump right on yeah. from, from somewhere right. else. Yeah, do an edit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so once I think that they bring in these other players and I think that they establish just – where their expectations are line by line, player by player, 
together as a team, together in terms of their structure, um, I think we'll see a very more cohesive unit in the last five games of the season. It's actually kind of fitting that they're playing against Montreal, who might be at that point in time fighting for a playoff spot. So right. it's good to have that kind of elevated level of competition because you're not just trying out new things now. Now you're trying it against a desperate, desperate hockey team, which will do anything just to try to get um, themselves to the very next level. So I think it's a very good test in that last five or ten games of the season. Uh, guys, I, I'm, I'm just wondering if they if they don't overthink this. So I'm going to go back to the Thursday night game and go through these goals. Uh, so it's one nothing. 1-1 on Ehlers' power play goal, which happens, what, seven or eight seconds into the power play. And that's the second consecutive night that's happened. Now, the next two goals are the result of pinches, and, and a pinch is one thing, but a forward not realizing it to backfill for his defenseman is another. So that's three goals. The fourth goal is is just a weirdo play where Marner d- decides not to eat the puck and, and gives it away, and, and, and Riddick decides he's going to try and, and stick handle with it. I mean, it's just, it's a colossal miss, a uh, misstep by two pretty good hockey players. But my point is, you know, there's no stretch pass in any of what Winnipeg's doing. They're just playing a methodical game and taking advantage of what you're giving them. That's really what the Leafs have to do here. One of the things that I'm a really, really afraid of is there's a, an element of predictability to the Leafs game as well. So you see teams really just lining five players into the neutral zone, oh. waiting for the Leafs to make a mistake. And they pay for it. Winnipeg is really good at that because they move their defensemen right up to the blue line. Their forwards kind of create a little bit of a pack mentality along the red line there. There's no space for the Leafs to move. You saw it during the power play zone entries. Winnipeg just oh. killed their momentum. Oh. So it, there are things that I think teams are able to latch on to Toronto. And, and, and those are the things that I think Keith has to kind of or at least Keefe and his coaching staff, they have to iron these out. They know that they're going to have teams just clogging up the neutral zone. They have to figure out a way above and beyond that. They can't keep making these kind of turnovers and giving the opposition the type of the plays that, that, that you described in those goals. You can't give a breakaway to a team just because you cause a turnover in the, in the neutral zone and you didn't have a back uh, uh, any forward with any back checking pressure or any defenseman in a position to be able to angle out the forward um, that, that carries the turnover. There, there are so many little details that I still think that they need to um, shore up on. And this is kind of a step of a contending Stanley Cup team. It's not like Tampa Bay became Tampa Bay, the Stanley Cup champions. They went through their growing pains. We all saw what happened with Detroit with the Borshevsky goal and the Bob Rouse and all that back in the day. Yeah. The very next year, they had a very similar gaffe along, uh, uh, I think it was right on the blue line where a goaltender... I think it was Shovel Day still that gave up the puck and they lose to the Sharks. So these oh, growing pains. Yeah. Osgood, there you go. Yeah. So yeah. see both our minds. We, we understand from, yeah. from back in the day. But the point being, though, is these growing pains are going to happen again this year. Toronto isn't guaranteed a contention spot just because they're, they're playing amazingly. There are little items in this game that Winnipeg can exploit. And if Winnipeg can exploit them, there's a guarantee that other teams with more established and a better credence to becoming Stanley Cup contenders, they're going to just feast on these little plays that the Leafs consistently give up. So there, there's some, there's still some maneuvering, I think, from the coaching staff that's required in order to get them to a level where they can compete across the league. Okay, let me throw this at you. I mean, we're doing a really specific analysis, uh, certainly of the game on Thursday night. And the reason that the stretch pass happens, the reason that they have to sort of claw their way out of a corner is because the power play is putting them there. They had a five-on-three early in that game with a one-nothing lead. And when they had a five-on-three, I'm watching Morgan Riley skate out of his zone. I go, 
dude, it's a five on three. It's not a five on four. You don't have to wait for, for Marner for the drop pass. Take it yourself. You have two extra players. There's no adjustment. It's it. Oh, oh I need to kind of compose myself for this because this is just really awful. Um, I usually record the games and watch them on tape delay just so I can get through commercials and, and, and try yeah. to focus on things. So last night I missed my PVR and I happened to start it right when that five on three began. Oh. And it was as irritating as ever to see the Leafs give up the puck on a five on three right off the face off that comes out of the zone. And then, like you said, Morgan Riley's dipsy doodling and, and, and waiting for the drop pass. They killed off 20 seconds of that five on three just because they needed to set up those back, uh, those drop passes to right. get into the zone. 20 seconds. They had a minute's five on three time and they gave away almost a third of it just for a zone entry. So it kind of goes to the bigger picture here. The power play has been horrible. It's very predictable. It's all about sniping from the half boards, which looks really good, but it's not very effective. And unless the research department that the Leafs have brought in from their analytics side says that, you know, from a percentage perspective, you know, the more times we do this, the more times we expect success. Well, they're one for 42. So there's a point where you have to start realizing that they need to start putting in other tactics, other strategy, get back to using the slap pass that Marner used to have way back when, when Tavares first entered uh, um, or became a leaf. They had Marner on the half boards. He would slap pass to the crease. There would always be a stick there for a redirection. Patrick Marlowe, Nazem Kadri, John Tavares, they were fantastic at this. They moved away from that, and now all of a sudden the power play is struggling. So they can't get into the zone on the zone entries for the power play. The power play itself has been just horrid because of the predictability factor of all of this, and it's not making it easier to win games. It, during that five-on-three, they should have put that game away. There should have been two yeah. goals, and there wasn't. So what happens? Winnipeg comes back in two goals in 27 seconds, and now your game is gone. So there's the power play is a bad, bad omen. The power, uh, the penalty kill being good in stretches and then just letting them down in certain situations. Like I know that there's randomness involved in hockey, and, and the entire game really goes on bounces and who can kind of control those. But there are elements that you can control. The strategy within your power play, you can control that. And the fact that they can't do that, kind of led it gives me a little bit of of trouble to understanding how the coaching staff is motivating these players to get better and to implement parts of structure that are vital to success and yet still running the same old power play over and over expecting the same or better results using the same plays it's it's baffling to me absolutely baffling okay guys here's the ultimate question if your power if your power play looks like that then why, when you have a six-on-five with the goalie pulled late in the game, does it look totally different? Because it's, it should be – there should be no difference. You have a man advantage in either case. Yeah, yeah. So, to me, I think the team should end up playing six-on-fives the way that they end up playing five-on-fives. Just that extra man in that, that zone doesn't necessarily cause enough of an indifference to create those little pockets of two-on-ones and and, and um, triangulate players to, to try to generate scoring. So the methodology and the structure used in a six-on-five is more conducive to even strength play with the potential of one floater player making a two-on-two, -two, a three-on-two, or a uh, one-on-one situation into a two-on-one situation, and then creating a goal off of that. The power play is supposed to 
be in a structured spot, um, set up in a specific way during in, in the opposition zone, and try to continuously use the same type of methods over and over to generate scoring. You'll see teams have gotten away from the shots from the point because that's not effective anymore. They're not using the goal line as effectively as I think that they can. Um, and they're consistently using the same setup on the one three one with the two players on the half boards. Using the 6.5 mentality of all out, going all out to try to generate a goal because your time is on your is not on your side there. They don't have that same type of urgency during the power play. If the power play ends, it ends. They go back to five on five and they try to keep scoring that way. Um, so the urgency factor from a six on five doesn't exist as much as it probably should uh, during a power play. Um, what they probably can try to do is try to infuse that urgency, elevate the pace, elevate the urgency, try to generate a little bit less predictability on the power play than they do on the six on five, because it's not like they're using set plays on the six on five. They're just trying to outmaneuver the defensive team by putting an extra forward out there or an extra player against them. So it's a bit of a different situation and urgency is really the only deciding factor that that uh, both, differentiates both of those specific plays. Gus, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right, there's our time warning from PA announcer Mike Ross. Uh, you're going to get to it here. The yes Guy, No Guy Awards, the power play. Oh, no guy. No guy, no guy. Team chemistry on the ice. Defenseman pinches, nobody backfills, goal. Team chemistry on the ice. Defenseman pinches, nobody backfills, goal. No guy. Come on. Work for each other. Play for each other. You did that so well before. Jack Campbell. Oops. Well, I guess when you go 11-0, some things are going to happen, and they sure did. So he's got some adjustments to make, and I hope he finds his way through this because he's a good goaltender. So... That's an oh, no guy. We have one yes guy. I had to scrape the bottom of the barrel to find it. Zach Hyman, what a warrior. Yes guy, Zach Hyman, yes guy. Hope you enjoyed episode 28, and I hope you come back for episode 29 of Leafs Guy on Tuesday. Be well.